Dear, dear listener, hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcasts, it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write, write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of our conversation with Andrew Holacek as we go deeper and explore further into the mystifying, mysterious, and powerful healing consciousness that we spend a large part of our life in, the time that we are asleep in REM and deep sleep. Let's explore this. Let's listen to the wisdom of Andrew as he takes us on this journey together. God bless. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists, with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. Yeah, and there's so many directions we can go. And one, one you're just pointing us towards is, what does this tell us about the fundamental nature of human nature and of reality? And I want to, I would definitely want to get into those, but I, I'm just sensing the audience getting as inspired as I am by listening to you. And like, okay, I want in. How do I, how do I do this? How do I begin? And I will say you lay out practices in, in an exquisite way in your book, Dream Yoga. And I will say this is one of only two books that I have taken into practically every retreat of the last two or three years. And I, I also should qualify and say... Now, that's an endorsement if I ever heard one. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably your least gifted student. I am, I am lucidity challenged day and night, but, <laughs> but I, I aspire and I am inspired by listening to you. And I, can, I have this vision of our audience, thousands of people around the world saying, I want in. How do I do it? So you do lay out the practices exquisitely in your book, Dream Yoga. But could you just give a, an introduction how people can begin? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Roger. Yes. Well, you know, on one level, one of the most important things is exactly what we're doing now is just realizing the potentiality here that, that, whoa, I had no idea. And I have to say it was the same with me. It's like, I had no idea there was so much here. And so doing what we're doing here, listening to these kinds of podcasts, reading books, not just mine, but there are many others. And if I put up my lemonade stand for just a second, we created this platform called nightclub three years ago, specifically designed to help Oneironauts, oneirology is the study of dreams. Oneironauts are those who explore, like astronauts explore outer space. Oneironauts explore the inner space of the mind. So this type of view is super important because it will create the inspiration and develop the sustenance that's required for success in, in these practices. And, and constancy is really critical here. And that's why understanding the benefits not only 
as I articulate in the Dream Yoga book, but in another book I published last year called The Lucid Dreaming Workbook. That entire book is like a prequel, Roger, to the book that you're so kindly putting up there. That book is really all about the nuts and bolts, all the benefits, physical benefits, amazing physical benefits, psychological, spiritual benefits, and then then, then how-tos. And so with that kind of right view and inspiration established, then on one level, and this is an incredibly simple and very powerful factor, is intentionality. I mean, I went just to show you how important this is. I, I went to a dream yoga training program a couple of years ago with a Tibetan master, and the only technique he gave, only one was intention, intentionality. And this, this, this cannot be really o- overstated that our intentionality that, hey, I really want to start having these dreams. I really want to have these four X, Y, and Z purposes. Intentionality itself is colossally important. And there's ways to work with that to come up more specifically here during the day, you literally, when I'm conducting dream yoga retreats, we start with intentionality from day one, literally throughout the day, almost like a mantra tonight, literally tonight, I'm going to have many dreams. I'm going to remember my dreams. I'm going to wake up in my dreams. And so what you're doing is you're installing these kind of pop-ups, right? So again, this is this, is this bi-directionality thing. I, I love the play on words here. When we're working with dream and sleep yoga, we're really developing a kind of interstate commerce between different states of consciousness. In this case, the waking state and the dreaming state. And so by working with this intentionality, it really it's like those annoying pop-ups you get on your computer, right? You're installing these pop-ups in your unconscious mind. Well, guess what happens when you fall asleep? It's your unconscious mind that comes into consciousness. That's what dictates the dreamscape. So you're, you're, you're creating these pop-ups so that then when you're dreaming, and I cannot tell you how many times I've ignited a lucid dream with one of these, I'll be going along in a classic non-lucid dream, normal dream, and then a, a pop-up during the day. Something will pop up in the middle of, of my dream that says, hey, wait a second, this is a dream. And then bingo, instantly, this is great news about lucid dreaming. In one instant, lucidity, the tables are instantly turned in one moment of recognition. Constancy is the real practice slash challenge, having these things every single night. That takes practice. But the ability to have a lucid dream, that can happen tonight. That can happen at any point. And so intentionality, creating the intention. When you go to sleep at night, um, you work with, and I'm a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So I work a lot with classic sleep hygiene techniques. We can get into that level of detail if you want. Um, shutting down, guess what? The light sources, getting away from especially blue light, which inhibits the release of melatonin, pulling away from computer screens, tablets, phones, and then television, working with certain dietary approaches. There's a whole array of things you can do. Always, you know, kind of spiritual sleep hygiene. If you're a meditator, a little bit of practice at night before you go to sleep, because meditation in terms of Eastern techniques, meditation is the single best thing you can do outside of intentionality to attain lucidity at night. And let me just say one thing here, because this is really important, that we're principally non-lucid to the contents of our mind at night, because the untamed, untrained, non-meditative mind is non-lucid to its contents during the day. In other words, just look at your mind. How often are you actually fully lucid to or aware of what's actually happening in your mind now? 
And so this is why studies have shown, and I, and I participated in these studies, um, studies have shown meditators have more lucid dreams. And in the mind of a meditation master, all their dreams are lucid. There's no such thing as a non-lucid dream. And so super technique, what I call super technique for lucidity in addition to intentionality is the practice of daytime lucidity, which is meditation. Become more aware, lucid to the contents of your mind. Now it's like what Kabir said of death applies to dream. What is found now is found then. Or conversely, what is not found now is not found then. So there's just a great deal more to say, but those are the key ones. Then there's just ever so briefly, there's all kinds of very specific techniques, conducting state checks, working with prospective memory, working with substances like galantamine. There's all kinds, again, and this is why, like, we, like you, Roger, I'm a huge fan of integral studies, integral approaches. And this is why as much as I pay deep, deep abhijan respect to the Eastern approaches of lucidity, I actually think for Westerners, the Western lucid techniques, the work of Stephen LaBerge and the scientists and the research, people who've really gone into the labs and done the studies and show you, I really appreciate the Western approaches to bringing about lucidity. And so I'll pause there because this is obviously a colossal topic, but those are the fundamental infrastructure parameters, profound interest, intentionality, working with a meditative mind. And then augmenting that with all these other things. And then you'll start to see the more you get into it, this is a discipline. It is a practice. It's actually an entire path. And so for people who have some proficiency and certain people, I seem to be one of these so-called talented ones, karmic, karmically predisposed, certain people just resonate with this particular bandwidth of experience. And for them, the nocturnal meditations can become your entire path. And in fact, in my tradition, I mentioned His Holiness Karmapa, well, the Karmapas are a stream of, if you believe in this sort of thing, incarnates a lineage of incarnate masters going back to 1041 when his first Karmapa, Chisam Kempa, attained his awakening. And guess what practice led to his enlightenment? Dream yoga. He attained his enlightenment through dream yoga. And the implications there are colossal. Well, the only way you can attain complete awakening is to purify all your karma. That means he purified all his habits, all his karma in his dreams. And so therefore, again, you have to stop me because I get so excited. You can purify, <laughs> you can purify your karma in your dreams. You can, you can, with a sensitive relationship to your dreams, they can literally, not metaphorically, a sensitive relationship to your dreams can literally save your life. How does one do that? Purify your, your karma in a dream? Yeah. Oh, what a great question, John. Well, lots of ways. One of the principal ways is when you attain lucidity in the dream, again, what takes over is, let's back up for a second. When you're in a non-lucid dream, what dictates the entirety of the dreamscape, almost entirely, is in fact your unconscious mind. I mean, that's what's coming to the surface. And, and so when you're working with the unconscious mind, you're working with all the habits, all the karma using Eastern languaging that's actually stored in that substrate mind, that substrate consciousness. And so if you're in a non-lucid dream, it's basically your karma that your habit is being played out. You're, you're basically witnessing that spool being unwound. Well, when you're in a lucid dream, oh my gosh, there's so much you can do to then work with those habit patterns. And so here's just one example. And, and there's so much to say here. This is basically stages two through eight of dream yoga. So there's a lot to say here. Let me just give you one example. So, so here's one. So 
let's say this is like stage two dream yoga. So let me just give you an example, like what you would do. So here you are in stage two, you wake up, you wake up in the dream, you're lucid. And usually for me, because I've done this so long, it's like, okay, what was I going to do tonight? What was I going to do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember tonight I'm going to work with stage two dream yoga. And by the way, what I do with my dreams depends on the strength of my lucidity. If I wake up at night and I'm having like a super lucid dream, a hyper lucid dream, a dream that's actually more real than this, I will go all the way up to stage eight and nine of dream yoga and work there. If I'm having a lower level lucidity, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm lucid, but it's not super strong. I work with the kind of entry level practices. But to give you an example here, John, and this is, this is important. This is, leads to some really big topics, some of which Raju was alluding to. So you're in stage, you're in the dream. And the practice here is to transform objects in the dream. This is classic dream yoga stuff. And you'll see how this works with karma. And so, okay, let's say I'm dreaming and I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming about a pen, okay? So I'm in, my, I'm in my dream and a pen shows up. The practice is to say, okay, I'm going to take that pen and I'm going to turn it into a glass or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. I, I can take whatever appearance. It could be a pink elephant. It just doesn't matter. The issue is, the practice is, I want to change that dream appearance from X to Y. It's actually not as easy as you think. And this, again, is revelatory. The moniker for dream yoga is literally the measure of the path. Dreams will show you where you are. And so I, I'm sitting there and I'm like trying to do this. I, I can do it now because I've done it for 40 years. But at first, I would be, I, I'd be like, you know, I want to I change this into whatever. I can't do it. Why? Because of my habit for reification my unconscious karmic predisposition to take this bloody pen to be real, even though it's a dream pen. I'm still, it's revelatory. I'm still mistaking this dream pen to be real because my habit patterns are coming in. And so with time, with time, with time and patience and humor, levity, humor is a big deal. Eventually, bingo, I'll change it into a glass, into flowers, into whatever. And therefore I'm actually working to change a particular habit pattern. In this case, it's really the mother of all habits, which is the habit of reification. And so, okay, okay, okay. So like, like, why is that helpful? Like, why? Okay, that's kind of cool, but why should I do this? Well, in a bi-directional way, here's one reason. And I cannot tell you how many times this has happened to me. I'll be going along the next day and I will be getting involved in a heated conversation with my partner, with my boss, whoever, and I will notice, I will, I will notice the sense of solidity. I'm about to really get pissed off. I'm about to really lose it. And guess what happens, John? This stupid memory from last night will pop up. Oh my God. Last night, I changed this pen into that glass. That's the bi-directional thing. That's the pop-up, right? Now coming from the dream state back to the waking state. And so I'm just about to lose it and what? Create more bad karma by capitulating to my anger. And that memory from last night will pop into my mind and say, hey, wait a second. I can transform this developing anger into compassion and kindness for this person exactly the same way I transform that silly dream pen into that silly dream glass. And it's only because I reify that energy. I'm taking that anger to be so real and I'm self-righteous and whatever, blah, blah, blah. If I capitulate to that, 
that's creating karma. And so there you go. That is colossal. So I purify my habits at night. They ping back in a bi-directional way. They pop up magically in this interstate commerce way. It helps me. And I can't tell you how many times this has saved me. I'm just about to say something I shouldn't say. I'm just about to do something I shouldn't do. And some silly image from last night's dream will pop into my head and say, wait a second. You're about to go non-lucid here. You're about to go non-lucid. You're about to lose it to this particular display. This dimension is just as real or unreal as last night. And so therefore, hello, I can transform my anger into compassion. I can transform my envy into kindness. And so Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, one of my favorite writers on this topic, this is a wonderful summary of the whole thing. He says the, the fruition of these nocturnal meditations, my, my paraphrasing is to basically say, this is a dream. I am free. I can change. Let me say that again. This is a dream. I am free. I can change. Whoa. I mean, are there some benefits built into that or what? <laughs> So this is just one again, and that's just stage two. And then it goes deeper and deeper. And each one of these stages, this connects to what Roger was talking about earlier, how you basically use the laboratory of the nocturnal mind to explore the nature of mind and reality. Every one of these stages from stage two, not stage one, stage two to stage nine is all about working with this heart essence core topic. And maybe we can transition into the deep end of the pool, emptiness, emptiness. In the Buddhist languaging, the nature of reality is, is emptiness. That's what it really means to become awake, enlightened, is to discover emptiness. And so therefore, Mingjin Rinpoche, I can't, dozens and dozens of dream yoga masters tell you that the, night, the nighttime mind is the principle, the best classroom for un, unpacking and understanding of the teachings on emptiness. And so if you want to head into the center of this particular mandala, we can go there, but I also want to pause and go wherever you want to go with it. That, that is somewhere we definitely want to go. And it's actually the center of this uh, most recent book of yours, Dreams of Light, the Profound Daytime Practice of Lucid Dreaming. And this is one I took in with the, in the last retreat. It, it, it actually invoked for me a whole nother level of insight into into emptiness, but I, I, let's lead into it a little more gradually. Okay. Because you just gave a beautiful example of the benefits of just a stage two lucidity practice. But as you pointed out, <laughs> a lot more stages. So let's, as a way into what you've been pointing us towards, that is looking at the far reaching implications of this work. Let's, let's move to the to the upper reaches of these practices. Maybe I can spark you by telling you a story, <laughs> which was maybe 20 years ago from the International Transpersonal Association that I attended. And the keynote speaker was the Dalai, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And he, he, I think he wanted to humble us. <laughs> he certainly did. He said, I'd like to tell you about our, our practice of dream yoga. And he said, what we do is we teach our, our monks and nuns to be aware when they're dreaming. I thought, oh, yeah, lucid dreaming. I know that. No big deal. All right, kid. And then he said, and then when they can do that, then we teach them to be aware between their dreams. So now they they fall into, non, into 
they have a lucid dream and then the dream stops and they fall into pure awareness and then another dream and they just watch them all dream and I think, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. And then he said, and once they can do that, then we teach them to be aware that this waking state is also a dream. <laughs> so now they're continuously aware and awake 24 hours a day without a break and it's all just something they can witness and appreciate and enjoy at this stage. I'm going, okay, I, I realize I'm out of my depth. And then he said, and then you can do it once you can do that. Supposedly it's not too hard to watch yourself die and be reborn, <laughs> which of course he's supposedly done 14 times. And I realize at this stage, this is light years out of my league. <laughs> Deep bow to you. <laughs> so, so with that as an entree, please, please go where you'd like with with the depths or the profound yeah. ones. Yeah, again, His Holiness, oh geez, you know, he, what a guy, right? And, and he says, in one of the better books out there in the Mind and Life series text, you know, for, for your listeners who want to explore this, um, sleeping, Dreaming, Dying, Conversations with the Dalai Lama on Consciousness, edited by Francesco Varela. This is a marvelous, marvelous tour of dream yoga. And one of the things he says there that's really worth reinstating along these lines is he says anybody, anybody, non-Buddhist, doesn't matter. Anybody can practice dream yoga. It's just that the Buddhists bring the particular kind of intentionality, motivation to explore, understand emptiness through the dream arena. And so in relation to that, first of all, thank you for the plug on, on Dreams of Light, my last book. That's of all the books I've, I've written, that's my favorite because that was a book where I just took the gloves off and I just went for it because it really, that whole book, as you pointed out, Roger, circumambulates really the core topic, not only in dream yoga or sleep yoga, but really arguably the core topic in all of Buddhism, which is, which is this thing called emptiness. And so understanding this is, is a, a colossal deal. And the dreams are a fantastically powerful way to do that. And there's so many different ways to explore this. And here's, let me, let me just say something at, at the outset to maybe bring this very immediately at the very beginning into complete or more appropriate and applicable dimensions. And that is that when people are talking about emptiness, and I'll be again very, very specific about how it's defined and how you work with it in the dream. But I want to say something at the outset that it's just, in my languaging these now, it's, it's just a, a kind of funny way to talk about love. That uh, really emptiness is just the Buddhist way to talk about love. And, and I want to say this right at the beginning, because otherwise what can happen as we get into this topic is it, it can be so intellectual, it can be so almost even scientific that there's a roadkill potential here that people go, oh, you know, I'm never going to wrap my around on this. But this all comes down, emptiness, a synonym for emptiness is openness. And it's also deeply connected to one of my very favorite definitions of meditation these days. Meditation is habituation to openness. And openness in a colloquial sense, yes, opening your mind and heart in that regard. But in a deeper, more self-help way, meditation is habituation to openness. Once you, once you go deeper is meditation as habituation to emptiness. And then therefore, what this also leads to is that when you really open, when you really touch into reality, and you touch into this thingless thing called emptiness, 
what you're really touching into is, is the fabric of reality, which is itself is love. Reality is made of the nature of love. And when, when you think about even colloquially, when you fall in love, you, you can't fall in love and, and be contracted and have a strong ego at the same time. They're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. We actually fall in love, fall into reality. When we drop our boundaries, we open, we release, we expand. And that's one reason it feels so good because the self-sense, the primordial contraction of the ego has been removed. And so I want to say this at the outset, because as we go towards this deeper end, please always keep in mind that fundamentally we're talking, it's a a Buddhist funny way of talking about love and that the nature of reality is in fact love. So with that said, one of the ways that you can do this, of course, is in fact through dream yoga. And this is because when you're working with the mind as it expresses itself in this nocturnal arena, you're working with a de-reified, um, a relatively de-reified aspect of our experience. And this is one of the reasons that dreams appear, you know, they're defined when we even talk about dream. It's defined by ephemerality, transparency, translucency, and almost a groundless quality. That's when we talk about dreams. That's one of the ways we define the dream in contradistinction to this waking reality. And so therefore, as so many masters say, the, the nocturnal arena is a marvelous opportunity to work with emptiness because you get to see it in, in this really fluid kind of environment, a more de-reified environment. And in fact, depending on which schools you talk to or which, which traditions you, you refer to, some traditions say that if you're lucid to it, you were actually more in contact with reality in the dream state than in the waking state. In other words, this reified waking state, this world of cement, steel, and concrete, this is actually the most inaccessible dimension because of this is where all our habits are fully revealed in the online state. And so when we transition and we kind of melt, this is actually kind of what happens when we go through the liminal phase, right? That's a de-reification phase. You're starting to discover the empty nature of the narrative structure of your self-sense. And by this, what I mean is next time you go to sleep, let's make it practical. You lie down in bed. You still, you lie down. It's still you. It's still Roger going to sleep. Your storylines kick in, all the usual things that happen. And then eventually, and if this didn't happen, you wouldn't fall asleep. Eventually, things literally start to fall apart, right? The storylines, you start to notice gaps in your narratives. You start to notice the sense of Roger is slowly falling apart. That's actually a preliminary experience of emptiness. You're you're actually discovering that the ego is just a storyline with a really bad ending, by the way. It's called death. (laughs) (laughs) This is worth interjecting. Death is only the end if you think the story is about you, right? But that's a different story. That's so, a great line. <laughs> yeah, death is only the end if you think the story is about you. And this is why, of course, hey, guess what? When you go to sleep, falling asleep is actually considered a concordant experience, a similitude of what the Buddhists refer to as the painful bardo of dying, which is where the first of the three death bardos, we're literally, it's called painful because what? The egoic sense is being let go. It hurts to let go. So every night when we fall asleep, that's a concordant experience the self-sense is coming undone. 
And usually because we're not, we're not identified with these subtle dimensions of mind, that's the principal reason we don't recognize them, Roger, is because we're not, we're not familiar during the day with these relatively subtle dimensions of our being. We, ego, is, is really familiar with rough, coarse, loud, gross states of mind. Exactly what turns down when the volume is turned down, exactly what falls apart. And therefore, again, where meditation comes in, meditation basically during the day introduces you to correlative states of mind during the day that will then be revealed naturally, spontaneously at night. And so therefore, by becoming familiar with the very definition of meditation in the Tibetan language, G-O-M, to become familiar with, that's what meditation means. By becoming familiar with these subtle dimensions during the day, well, guess what? What is found now is found then. You then recognize them as you fall asleep and dream. But to return to the emptiness thing. So you're falling asleep. Your narrative self-structure, the ego storyline falls apart. Again, if it didn't, that's called insomnia. That's what keeps you up and awake. But eventually it does fall apart. You're starting to see the de-reified nature of your being. And with practices of liminality, liminal dreaming, you can sit back and witness this. You can watch it. You can watch yourself quite literally come undone. And that in itself is really interesting. If you do this with some proficiency, this is what my friend Stephen LaBerge, arguably the father of Western lucid dreaming, scientist who's proved it in Stanford in 77. This is called awake initiated lucid dream, where you can bring your awareness with you. You actually maintain lucidity awareness as you go through this process. And therefore, you can witness this introduction to the empty nature of your self-sense, right? And so then, how? and I'll pause here because there's so many ways that we can go with this. I want to make sure I'm keeping on track with your intentions. Then what happens is if you maintain lucidity, you maintain that you wake up in the dream state, you're watching a particular display of the mind. And then here, Roger, I, I can actually guide you in your audience through a little dream yoga practice, a little dream contemplation that will show you just how powerful and profound this gets to talk about emptiness in, in one of the most, I think, subtle, nuanced ways. So if, if you want me to do that, I can do that with Please. you. Yes. Yeah. When I first worked with this, this turned out to be quite the little game changer for me. And so I, well, maybe we can pause for 30 seconds. I will stay in silence and then I will guide you through this little contemplation type investigation where you can start to see how the dream arena can be used to really look at reality, mind, perception, knowing they're all deeply interconnected in a profoundly revelatory way. So let me do this. Then perhaps we can talk a little bit about it because this will go right to the deep end of the pool and show you just how much these practices can reveal to you every single night. So let's, let's just close our eyes, sit in silence for just 30 seconds or so to kind of settle. And then I will guide you through this little kind of dream yoga contemplation. So I invite you to simply bring to mind memory 
any recent dream. It doesn't really matter. Just any particular dream, simply bring it to mind. And then perhaps see if the following was not true for you. When you were having that dream, there certainly seemed to be an unquestioned dream appearance, dream image. In other words, the actual content of the dream itself. That's uncontested. Yes. When you're in the dream, you're experiencing the dream. Or so it appears. The unexamined life Socrates, Plato, the unexamined life is not worth living. Let's examine. Let's bring some lucidity to the experience of your nighttime dream. So in an unexamined way, the dream image appears, yes, uncontested. And in an unexamined way, there seems to be a dreamer. We even say things the next morning. Oh, I had a great dream last night. So there seems to be a dream object, the dream image. There seems to be a dreamer. And then also, there seems to be some type of consciousness actually connecting you to the dream image. So you have three things, the dream image, the dreamer, and consciousness connecting. But is that really what's happening? This is what's actually called threefold impurity. And the teachings on emptiness purify this. Threefold impurity, subject, object, consciousness. When you're in the dream, that seems axiomatic a given. Yes, that's the way I experience my dreams. But now, from this perspective, from the waking state, look back on that double delusion, look back on that dream and ask yourself, hey, wait a second. What's really going on here? Is that really what's happening? So this following investigation may need to be repeated more than once because it's going to be a direct assault and challenge on the ways we perceive, know, experience reality. From the waking state, yes, we can still look back and say, yes, there was a dream image, uncontested. But from the waking space, look back now and ask yourself, look, where's the dreamer? Where is the dreamer? It's like what John said, who is having this dream? Whoa. Hadn't thought of that before. From the waking stance, and this 
Contemplation only has impact if you engage in it. Try to find the dreamer. If you really look, and I so invite you to do this, you will discover that there isn't one. The dream appearance is empty of a dreamer. This is one powerful glimpse of emptiness. There is no dreamer. If there is, point it out to me. Point it out to yourself. Where is it? Whoa. And then what happens to the consciousness that seemingly connects you to the dream image? That's also purified. Consciousness does not connect. Consciousness separates. There is no dreamer. There is no consciousness, but there still remains the dream image. You cannot contest and deny that. There's still something there. Then the question becomes, who is seeing what? What's actually taking place here? The radical Conclusion, the only conclusion you can make is the dream is empty of both consciousness and the dreamer. The dream knows itself. This is an experience of non-duality. This is another way of talking about emptiness. Emptiness is empty of duality, threefold impurity, the dream is reflexively aware. The dream knows itself. Okay, open your eyes. We'll do two more things, and then let's talk about this just briefly. Let's make it even more apparent. Remember, dream, code language for manifestation of mind. Take a look right now. Open your eyes. Thoughts are probably cascading through your mind. Is that thought that you're experiencing now any different from last night's dream? In other words, engage in the exact same contemplation investigation now. Who is experiencing this thought? Who is having this thought? Nothing, no thing, emptiness. Thoughts without a thinker. That's discovering the empty nature of your thoughts. And then I realize we're doing this with some rapidity, but the final step, so to speak, is now raise your gaze above the computer screen or whatever. Look at that wall in front of you or whatever. And ask yourself exactly the same questions. Seems to be something out there. Seems to be something in here. A little bit more interesting now because you have this thing called your body. But is that really you? 
seems to be some sort of consciousness connecting subject to object. But this is what it means to be asleep in the spiritual sense. This is ultimate non-lucidity. Fracturing the world into subject, object, consciousness, threefold impurity. This is what it means to be asleep. And for all of us, this is, again, axiomatic. This is a given. This is just the way we see the world. It's just the way it is. No, it's what our friend Ken Wilber talks about is the myth of the given. It's not the way it is. It's the way we, ego, construct this world to be. So in exactly the same way that the dream image last night knows itself, your thoughts know themselves in a non-dualistic way, When you look out upon this world, it seems to be out there in an unexamined way. Seems to be a dualistic. Lucidity is to discover the emptiness of just that. So a bit quick, Roger, but maybe something that people can play with that needs, in my experience, to be done over and over again because it's such a radical challenge to the way we perceive, know, and think. But fundamentally, this leads to the empty nature, the non-dualistic nature of reality, and therefore a profound opportunity to discover what's actually happening, what's real. That was amazing, but we are not done yet. Stay tuned to part three of our conversation with Andrew Holacek. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.